Damascus, and you're listening to episode number 70. In this episode, we interview Tal Schwartzman. Uh, Tal has been one of our feature animation instructors here at iAnimate since we opened up our virtual doors back in 2010. Uh, he's currently an animator over at Pixar Animation Studios, and uh, it was just a really neat opportunity to get Tal in on this podcast. Um, as I mentioned, he's been one of our instructors since we opened up our doors, and I've done one podcast with him prior to this, um, but it has been a bit. It was probably around the release of uh, Rise of the Guardians while he was an animator over at DreamWorks Animation Studios. Um, I was also able to take uh, one of his workshops back earlier this year in January for our winter term, and uh, I just had never had him as an instructor. I was looking to hone up on some of my skills, and I thought, you know what, let's jump in. And so it was just a really neat opportunity to talk with Tal after it had been a bit from working from DreamWorks now to Pixar, as well as having a little bit of insight having taken one of his workshops. Um, Tal has uh, worked on such movies as Kung Fu Panda 1 and 2, um, Shrek Forever After, Rise of the Guardians. Um, he's worked on Incredibles 2 uh, while he got to work with Brad Bird. Uh, very neat opportunity, obviously. And uh, recently worked on Toy Story 4 and wrapping up things on Onward. Um, so very accomplished animator, uh, loves the craft, and so it was just, again, a neat opportunity to talk with him. So check it out. Well, let's jump into this. Um, I always like to thank my guests, first and foremost. I know it's time from you guys. As you mentioned, you've got a full day at work, and uh, to get an hour or so of your time, it's always greatly appreciated. So thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. And it's extra special for me because not only have you been a previous podcast, but I was able to take your workshop six class back in January. So um, it gets a different perspective of now getting to interview you. And I think the last one was back in 2012-ish, I think. I think. That I maybe, did? Maybe, yeah, I think it was back when you were still at DreamWorks on Rise of the Guardians. I think um, so it was like 2012, 13 was the last one. Yeah. Anything, yeah. So it it's been a while, and I've been a, uh, one of your students. So that's uh, a really cool opportunity now to talk about you from a different perspective now. So thank you very much for your time. Yeah. All right. Um, we've got the other podcast that we can kind of go into if people want to check out maybe some of the background and stuff. But I'd like to at least, since it's been a bit, kind of get into just briefly, what made you want to get into animation? Uh, um, I mean, uh, <laughs> I grew up watching, uh, I think it's very similar to a lot of people uh, that do what I do. Uh, I just grew up watching cartoons and um, I just started drawing those cartoons, like the things I saw on TV. Mm -hmm. And um, that's kind of how it started. Um, and I think it wasn't, um, I grew up overseas uh, in Israel and um, my family kind of went back and forth a lot. And um, it wasn't until I think I came, I think we relocated to the States and I think it was like in the late 80s or something. Okay. Um, um, and I think around that time, Disney started coming back with like a bunch of films. Like it was like Oliver and Company and stuff like that. Then I think I, I realized it was like a full-time job that people did um, because I think at that time, Disney got really good at like, uh, publicizing or, or, or like their animators or artists mm. like you know Glenn and all those guys um, and so then then a lot of information started um, coming out before that uh, you know there was no internet obviously at least not that I was had access to and so I, I only knew that I wanted to draw and I thought that would went hand in hand with it okay the idea of illustrations and stuff wasn't really necessarily a, a, you just assumed or put drawing with animation. 
Um, yeah, I just think the element of was drawing, I don't know, I don't remember how I connected it, but it was, it was early on, um, cause I was doing it, must've been, uh, second, third, fourth grade. Okay. Um, and so I was doing it pretty early and the early TV shows, uh, in Israel, there was like only one TV channel when I was okay. growing up. Uh, and so every summer they would play the same, like three or four TV series that they would do for the run of the summer. Okay. And, and, and so those became, and actually most of them are still like favorites amongst a lot of the generational people. Uh, and, and they were eclectic. They're from all over the world. I had, we had some mm. from Japan, uh, we had some from France and we had uh, like one or two from the States. Okay. And, and they would play every summer, the same ones. And I was just, I think I was just mesmerized by, okay. by what I saw. Um, and that was kind of it. There wasn't really movies. Um, not that I can remember at the time. Okay. Later on, um, Fox and Ham might have come out. And that might be one of the ones I remember that I saw there before I came to the States. Okay, very cool. Now, were your parents pretty supportive of this for you? Or was that kind of one of those things that are kind of going, hey, look, you got to get to college and get a degree first? Or how did that work? Honestly, in retrospect, I, I, I'm amazed at how supportive they were. Okay. Um, knowing my, now, now being, you know, my age and, and having kids, um, realizing what they too had gone through in their life uh, to provide for their children. Mm -hmm. um, I thought they would have wanted us, uh, all three kids, me and my two siblings to be uh, very like ac academic and, and, but they weren't, they were very much like follow your dream. I think my mom especially was very supportive. Um, and she, she kind of helped me with the drawing stuff. And I always thought she drew really well. And, and, and I was amazed. She actually really helped me early on. And it's just cool. felt that she couldn't, do it any farther and then she she found classes and stuff so she in retrospect both my parents are extremely supportive very cool very yeah. cool any favorites cartoons that you're growing up that were favorites that you can remember uh the tv shows there were there were four that i i, I vividly remember uh one and that it was funny just in the last few years i actually learned uh its origin one in israel is called uh halev which means uh, i think it was translated in english to um 3,000 Leagues from Mother, and then it has a different name as well. And I think okay. his name is called Marco. Um, and it's about this kid whose mom uh, leaves. I think they're in Spain, and she leaves to go to Argentina or something to work uh, work off their father's debt or something like that. Mm. And then she gets sick, and he goes to follow her. And it wasn't until, I think, four years ago, I actually found out that it was a uh, it was actually one of the later projects from Hayao Miyazaki, and uh, Iso Takahata, he was like, Iso Takahata was director and Miyazaki was like the layout guy. And it was one of their last TV shows before they started doing the film. Oh, I wow. That. Yeah, I didn't even know that. <laughs> so, and this thing is like insanely popular in Israel. It's, it's, it's one of the most iconic TV shows. Um, another one was, um, I don't, I think it was called Time Was. It was like Hayo Aya or The Where Was Time. It was like an educational French TV show. And it had a version of like when people, these little things were in the body and were teaching about people about the human body and they had the same creatures and characters who then did one about history. And it was okay. educational. Uh, and then there's Transformers, which was, I think was. Yes. I think that was one of the only American ones we got. And then there was a sweet, uh, might've been Swiss one. It was called Niels Holgesson about this kid who's a very naughty kid and he gets shrunk by an elf or something to like a size of a hamster or something. I mean, <laughs> bizarre trek for the summer with wild geese. Those are the kind of four main things I grew up on. 
now that um, seems pretty unique coming from different types of different, does, do you feel like that's kind of helped influence maybe your, I know when I took the class with you, we talked about uh, Miyazaki and some of the, you know, that being why that was kind of your favorites. And I want to kind of go to some of that later, but I mean, growing up in America, at least for a long time, I didn't, you know, I had never heard of him uh, for a while. And even now trying to get a hold of some of that kind of stuff, they don't, I mean, I haven't seen it on Netflix and things like that. Um, so still a little bit less um, accessible, I guess, to a certain degree. Um, but I can see where maybe being in Israel, where you've got a hub, so to speak, that can kind of pull from different places. You've got a variety of different animation I, styles and stories and things like that. Honestly, um, I wish I could say that that was the case and make it sound better than it was. But no, uh, <laughs> um, once we moved to the States, um, and like I said, I didn't know who had done it at the time. Okay. Um, and I just actually just found that out recently um, in the last few years. Um, once we came into the States in the late 80s, early 90s, it was heavily became America. Like I was suddenly exposed to like Thundercats. Okay. Go, yeah. Um, He-Man, all the stuff that like I, I had no, no understanding of. And it was like, okay. Woke up one morning in the hotel we were staying before we found a place, and I turn on Saturday morning cartoons, and they're like this onslaught of <laughs> of like cartoon media, point, I guess. So no, I, I I wish I could sell the story, but no, I, I okay heavily <laughs> towards American cartoons once I got here. Okay, I got this is kind of a side rabbit trail here, but um, there's a really cool documentary series on Netflix. Um, I don't know if you have Netflix. It's called The Toys That Made Us. Yeah. Have you seen those? Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. Those are great, man. Because it. Yeah, it's not a big fan. No, I am. I've watched all the seasons. It's just it's really terrifying because it's like it gives you a little bit of a window into like your childhood, and it kind of a little bit killed my childhood like, <laughs> okay. oh, that's how it, it was just interesting to see like oh he-man filmation really brought the story to that uh the, to that whole thing and uh-huh. uh it was it was really interesting in a like in an interesting like fascinating kind of, way, the backstory behind all that stuff and okay kind of how the sausage is made you don't necessarily actually want to see that <laughs> Um, but it was definitely interesting yeah, yeah i loved it yeah <laughs> that's honestly that's one of the things uh I was talking to my kids here. We're coming back from CTN and I was kind of talking with them a little about that when you said that, you know, kind of how things are made. I always feel a little bad showing them what I do because it's almost kind of um, takes away a little bit of the, ma the magic trick. You know, it's like yeah. it, being a magician's uh, assistant. It's like, you know, it, you've seen it. They still love it because they're going, man, I get to see the behind the scenes or I know what's kind of go how it's done. But it's always that kind of thing where a little bit, I feel a little bad because you're like, <laughs> You showed him the magic trick, you know? Um, <laughs> no, I agree. Okay, all right. So that was a side deal. Okay. Um, so you said you came into the States around the late 80s? Mid to late like 80s? 88, 89. I, okay. I don't remember exactly. Okay. Um, now, I know you graduated from Sheridan College, right? Yeah, in 2000. Okay, in Canada. Yeah. So why Sheridan College if you were in the States? Were there any other ones that kind of piqued uh, your interest or that one was at the time the best? Uh, I was interested in 2D, uh, absolutely. And and I think the two schools at the time that were getting a lot of press that I knew of uh, was was CalArch and Sheridan. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I think, I didn't know about Goblins, even though technically it was closer. Uh, not that I could have gotten in, I have no idea. Um, but 
Sheridan, uh, I think I applied, I got in, and I, I don't remember if I applied to Kellerts or not. I just know it was insanely expensive. Yeah. And I just, uh, it was, it was too much. Uh, and Sheridan was technically a little bit closer because it was in Toronto versus uh, LA. Okay. So it was closer to Israel if I had if flying back and forth. Gotcha. Um, uh, but yeah, that's the one I ended up going to. I, I checked it out and you know, it was kind of the things at the time you, you kind of look at who graduated from it and where they ended up. And, you know, it, it, that's kind of why I ended up deciding having never been to Canada, never seen snow really. And uh, just kind of going for it. It was an experience. <laughs> Good experience. You learned some things. You felt like, okay. Cause I know, I think. And, and I think the most important thing was, um, uh, I, I had, I, I met a lot of good friends there. Uh, people, okay. um, I'm still friends with now, uh, we've kind of helped each other in the industry and, um, you know, one of them actually, I think one or two actually even work definitely, I know for sure work at the studio with me, okay. uh, work with them. Um, so yeah. And, and we keep in contact, uh, you know, meet up every once in a while. Okay, I'm going to kind of come back full circle back okay. where you're at, but how important is that? Uh, you know, you've been in the industry obviously much longer than I have. Um, but those, okay, let me back it up here. Coming from back from CTN um, a couple weeks back, I, I just, I really appreciate that show for the purpose of the networking and seeing people that, you know, uh, on a regular basis and people from around the world and even our country I animate students who, you know, so I just, I love that aspect of getting to meet people kind of regularly and, and see them again. Mm-hmm. How much of importance is that for you? You know, you're saying that these are your experience in college. One of the defining moments was the friendships that you've made yeah. important even now in the industry where you're at your colleagues, things like that. Or is it kind of, uh, do you see less of that being kind of, um, importance in your career, I guess. I think it's a tricky question because, um, there have been times where, like, uh, I've I've given my friend's reel to to a studio, and a friend, you know, has given my reel. Um, I don't know that that gets you a job. Um, uh, I think the best case scenario is that person just vouches that you're a decent person. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Okay. Um, I I don't think if you're if someone's reel is better, and I mean significantly better, they probably have a better chance. In the mm-hmm. end, the work has to justify get you know, getting the job. Um, I don't think the concept, at least I might be completely wrong in, in my view, the schmoozing call it aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's as important, you know, okay. um, I've seen people get hired with incredible reels. Someone's talented, they're talented, they're going to get hired. And usually when people ask me what's important, I say, if you have a great reel, that's the most important thing because you might not get the job you want, but you'll get a job. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Right, right. We'll get hired. Usually people that have exceptional reels will get hired by someone and it's rare that they don't. Okay. Versus, and you know, you took my class, you know, and I've always said, it's one thing to get a job. It's another thing to keep it. Right. And so someone with an exceptional reel that can do the work has a better chance of keeping the job versus someone, let's say that, you know, if they're somehow possible to schmooze a job, which plays well with others better or whatever yeah yeah I, just in general if you can do the work and you're a decent person i i, I doubt you can have a problem gotcha okay just kind of a side thought that came to mind okay um now i think from our first podcast you'd mentioned your time in sheridan was um 
kind of that time when Disney, the writing on the wall for a little bit for 2D was kind of happening there. Is that correct, if I remember correctly? Um, or maybe it was shortly after? Really, or? Like, my, my time in Sheridan was this weird thing where it started in the end of the 90s and it just ended in the beginning of 2000. And when I started, it was the craze where everybody was getting hired. Right. Anybody that could hold a pencil, anybody was getting hired at DreamWorks, Disney. I think Fox just was gearing up. It was right before they I think put out um, their first feature. Was it Anastasia or something? Okay. So the, it was right before then. So my three years was like this golden peak that everybody was working. Mm-hmm. And right when I graduated okay. is when <laughs> everything just took like stock market took a major nosedive. Fox <laughs> just shut its doors. Uh, I think DreamWorks wasn't really hiring as much anymore. And I think Disney, I think that year or later that year started to really uh, reduce its campuses. Uh, and by the end of 2002, I think it was already like down to like two studios or something. Okay. Like that. That's what I remember. I remember you kind of mentioned that. I just did a uh, podcast with uh, Jim Vanderkyle. Um, I'll be releasing, I think, hopefully tomorrow. Um, but he was talking about that, you know, when he was at Warner Brothers and his last project was, I think they had finished up on Osmosis Jones, but he had worked on um, Iron Giant mm-hmm. um, and then Osmosis Jones. And But then it was like, okay, we're done, you know, with the 2D. And so it was that same kind of probably real close to that same amount of time too, where it was yeah. just like, okay, it's not working. Um, yeah, I'll come back to that though. Scary time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, okay. That being said, you're in your latter years of college to go into 2D. What's going on through your mind? I, 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 I was kind of, because of the downsizing, I was just kind of like, um, I'll do, instead of film, I was like, cool, I'll do commercials. Commercials are high quality. Okay. Yeah, I'll, do this. I'll do that. I'll take any job. Uh, and I think at the end of the school year, um, I think every college has this thing where, um, they invite like the industry to come and see people's work. Mm-hmm. So they invited, I can't remember what they called it, but they invited a bunch of students to come out and see your work. And they all asked us the same question. I was like, Hey, do you do CG? And it was, it was kind of weird and frustrating because it, it was asked by people that had gone to the school and done the same program. Okay. And they knew that we were barely <laughs> sleeping. Like we were sleeping maybe two hours a day. <laughs> we like, Dude, seriously, you did this. Where do you think, I, and I had no idea what CG was. Like, I was like, is it like Premiere? I can do Premiere. And they're like, no, it's not like Premiere. I'm like, then no, I don't, I, I don't know it. I don't know what it is. I had no clue. <laughs> is, um, Toy Story came out in when, 95, 96? 95, 96. I think at the time I was in college, um, Toy Story 2 came out and I think Bugs Life. Okay, yes. Bugs Life, Toy Story 2. I think those are the only, I think those are two Pixar movies that came out when I was at Sheridan. Okay. So the thought of going into that, that route hadn't quite crossed your mind yet. Uh, when I, when I was coming to my last year, I was, I was open to anything. Okay. Okay. Um, be just realistically, because uh, you, 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 it was very obvious that a, you just want to get your foot in the door. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, but I didn't know, like, I just didn't know anything. Okay. Uh, and Sheridan, was at the time, I don't know what it's like now, um, was very geared towards, um, I think, for all its history, just getting people prepared for local industry, which was like Nelvana or whatever. So a lot of TV stuff, how to label layouts correctly. There was no, at least that I can remember, I might be corrected. There was no focus on acting in animation. Okay. Um, there was no, there, I mean, there, there was none of that. Uh, and a lot of the stuff we learned 
was from our peers, like the people that I went to school with. Um, and we kind of learned from each other um, in, in a way. And that was, and you know, none of us had that understanding. And it was interesting. I, it was in retrospect, looking at how certain people did things. It, it, it's, it's, you know, things that at the time I might've thought, oh, that's wrong, that's cheating. Today I'm like, wow, that person really knew what they were doing and had a vision okay. how to do it. It, you know, with time, you get more perspective about what what is a good way to do things, what what could help. At the time, you just didn't know. Right, right. So, after graduation, what? How did your path get into the animation industry? Was it shortly um, after, or? It, so I applied a bunch of places, and they're like, "We don't have any work." Uh, I'd even gone into Toronto with a friend of mine uh, to get a job at Chuck Gamage, which was like the best commercial house at the time. Um, and the guy liked our stuff and, and Chuck Gamage looked at our stuff and he's like, well, let's get these guys some work. And then someone just said, we don't have any work. <laughs> and I'm like, you're like, and it was weird because you're like, you, you feel good because someone of that level of caliber is telling you, oh, your work is good. But like, uh -huh. someone's like, oh, there's no work for you. Right. Um, I bummed around a little bit here and there. We couldn't get anything stable. And so I ended up going back to Israel. And at the time, there was no and still today the 2d industry is very limited there um and 2d especially was non-existent really um but there was like a lot of that high tech height like tech boom stuff like dot com right. yeah and so cg was a thing and they were using like computer animation in a way that i wasn't really understanding what their plan was but someone hired me to um do some cg stuff and i was learning i didn't really care for it the way they were doing it uh, and the first opportunity I did, I, I got, I went back to doing 2D, like a TV show. Okay. Uh, locally. And um, until that kind of ended, which was about a year or two. After college. All this was after college, yeah. So that was like in 2002. And then um, 2002, an American studio opened up a branch in Israel. Okay. And, oh, I can't remember how I saw a posting for it. And I'm like, uh, I sent them uh, an email and I sent them my stuff and they're like, oh, your stuff is cool. Um, we don't know how we could translate to what we do, but they're like, we'll give you a chance. And I was kind of, I was like, great. A Western kind of, uh, you know, Hollywood type students coming here. Um, and, and so I took it upon myself to learn CG in a proper way. Gotcha. Uh, so I sat down for like a um, few weeks at home. Uh, and at the time, the software of choice in Israel was 3D Max. Okay. It still is the big one. Uh, and so I kind of went through like those tutorials, like the, you know, like Maya help has those tutorials. Uh -huh. So Max had that. And so I went through teaching myself all of that mm -hmm. because in 2d at Sheridan, you learned how to do everything. Like right. you learned how to do character design, layout, uh, model sheets, everything. So I assumed that was like in CG as well. So I taught myself how to model rig, uh, texture render within a few weeks. Then I went and I started the job and it worked out and I was there okay. for about two or three years. What I like about what you're mentioning there too is I know you mentioned on uh, The Incredibles too that, um, I forget what they're called, but where you did a little bit of the biting of the lip. Yeah, on Bob. With, on Bob, you know, and so I, I, you know, you're talking about, you know, you had to kind of learn a little bit of everything where a lot of that's kind of able to translate even in stuff like that on a full feature movie. Yeah. Going I mean, outside the box. I think that's true for a lot of studios. Uh, I think Sony DreamWorks uh, and, and Pixar, uh, every, you know, there's departments that do that, but if you're able to do that for yourself, 
Um, I think it helps. It's not a necessity right. by any right. of the imagination. Um, I, I just, I wanted to do that. And I think having just design wise, what I specifically wanted going in and doing that, um, I, I just, I, I wouldn't say had the confidence. It was more like I wasn't scared to do it. Right. I mean, worst comes to worst, I deleted, it doesn't work out, but I, I really had an idea of what I wanted. And, and I went in there and, and did those kind of specific shapes and it worked out. Right. So for those that are listening, it, it put like clusters around the, the mouth and um, certain points. It was more like blend shapes, but yeah, okay. something along those lines, something like a Maya-esque version of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Allowed you to get the little bit of a creases in here when he bit his lip on the, yeah. with the milk carton, right? Milk carton. And then there was a couple stuff with Violet as well when she was eating uh, the carrot. Um, oh, right. I wanted to show the progression of her eating. And I'm like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we could just show the bite marks? <laughs> so like oh i'll just i'll kind of model the ch like the bites in there and uh -huh. really great support for my soups on it and and they're you know really appreciative and very supportive of that I'm very just, cool like, your step. yeah it just reminds me of when you said you know you kind of learn a little bit of everything so um so you worked on this over at israel for a couple of you said for a year or two uh I, by the time i started working at the cg place i think it was around 2003 uh 2002 I think, and I think it went to 2004 or five. I can't remember. Okay, very cool. But it allowed you to get your feet wet in CG. Yeah, like. Okay. <laughs> no, what I mean is like, um, I was animating CG, but I was. You have to understand, like, what I said about about Sheridan was like, no one taught me about acting, so. Um, okay. Uh, I I was still kind of learning a lot. Okay. Trying to, and um, and I think it was facing the same fears that a lot of new people do, where it's like you know uh, heavily worked in step blocking, and then when I had to transition, I was always terrified of what it would look like in spline, and it all became a bit of a mess. And I think they attributed me at the studio I was working at attributed me with a little bit more um, talent that I think I deserved at the time. Okay. Um, and I think they thought I was way higher on the list than I should be, and. Um, I think I was right, <laughs> very much so, in that, um, you know, I still have a lot to learn. And, it, yeah, it, I think it was, it was a great experience, and I actually really missed that place and with those people. It was a lot of fun. Um, but I, it was definitely kind of tasting CG. I, I didn't come out of there n knowing what I'm doing, I would say. Okay, but enough where you're feeling comfortable familiar with using rigs and it basically I guess translating yeah. your 2d yeah. knowledge at least on how to start manipulating in in, in a computer animation package yeah. Yeah. I think it was a really good like school CG school for me let's put it that okay way. okay yeah. I just I'm reminded though it just um, I did a podcast a couple ones back with it was Rick Arroyo joined us but with um yeah sorry that is name <laughs> He's been in the industry forever. Um, okay, hang on a second. That's really bad. Keith Lango. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we just talked about in that podcast about not despising kind of small beginnings, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, it's funny. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned Keith Lango's name. It's also um, when I was starting out, I didn't know anything. Like I knew all the 2D people. Like I knew mm -hmm. Glenn's name. I knew James. I knew all the 2D Disney guys and Don Bluth and everything. Um, <clears throat> I didn't know. I didn't know any CG people. 
Mm-hmm. And it was funny, uh, in Israel, the two names that always popped out was Keith Lango, because he had like a blog, I think, at the time. Yeah, yeah. And then Victor Navone, mm-hmm. uh, because of Alien Song. Right, right. And those are the two people that, like, they always held up and like, okay, this is, okay. So at least it gave me something to look at. And they were also two individuals who actually showed their process really early on, which was really mm-hmm. cool. No yeah. one was CG at the time. Um, and I, what I was going to say is, is um, I, I wasn't one of those people that kind of got out of school and hit it big right away. I mean, I work with people that, that happens to, all the time, right? Um, all the people that either come right in, came right into DreamWorks out of school or come into Pixar out of the internship and then stay. Right. I wasn't one of those people. I had a very, very long road to get where I was going. I, I wouldn't change it. I, I very much enjoyed it and it made me the person I am today. Right. So very proud of that. That's why I guess I was saying that, not despising the small beginnings, because it's one of those things that, like you said, it helps shape us, it makes us. Um, and I think it also helps keep things kind of realistic because the idea that, you know, coming out of the programs or whatever and jumping right into, you know, a Pixar yeah. or something like that isn't always realistic. Some of it, time it takes time and even afterwards and such. So um, and I just like hearing always, stories like that. It's not always about talent. I've seen uh, very talented people not necessarily get the job right away. Uh, a lot of the things that people don't understand, sometimes it's, it's, it's just timing and opportunity and mm. luck. Luck has a lot to do with it. it it's like, do, are, you, are they looking for someone at, the, at that moment? For some reason, does your works hit a spark, you know, sparks someone that's looking at your reels? It, some of it is absolutely like your work, talent, and great. Sometimes it's just, you know, luck. And, and right. You just have to have that kismet of both. Now, if you're insanely talented, you can maybe generate that luck for yourself <laughs> yeah. um, more often. Um, <laughs> but I think it's a, it's a mixture of a few things. Gotcha. Very cool. Um, how shortly after working in Israel at that studio, and what was the name of the studio again? It was, it was an abbreviation of, it's called the IDT Israel. I think okay. the IDT, the original was in New Jersey, and I think that was like the Israel branch. Okay. So how far after that did you move back to the States and start in, you know, some of the other studios? So that studio folded around that time, uh, about 2004 or five. And I did a little bit of commercial work, the VFX commercial house, which was okay. intense. That, that place taught me how much I didn't know. Okay. Um, that was a, that was a very kind of good experience in that it put me in my place. Uh, <laughs> Not that I was thinking too much of myself still, but still it was cleared, cleared any. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, it wasn't, it was also an eye into commercials and definitely what I don't want to do with my life. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I wasn't there for too long, like maybe eight months or something. And then I, I got a gig at blue sky okay, uh, as a temp animator on ice age two. Okay. I think, was, I think this was 2005, the summer of 2005. And, I, and then I moved back to, uh, to New York um, in 2005, and I was there for like five months, I think, five or six months. I can't remember. Okay. At, at Blue Sky at the time? At Blue Sky. And it was okay. still White Plains at the time, I think. And I think at the time, um, I was definitely open to doing other things. Like I, I was, and I actually started looking at games uh, studios afterwards. I was actually really, I was playing games. I'm like, I like games. I, you know, I could definitely do that. Um, and I had, I had started interviewing at a few game studios and, uh, by whim, uh, I knew someone, uh, that was an animator at DreamWorks and, and he had mentioned, Oh, they're hiring. You should submit. Interesting. And I submitted, uh, 
just some tests and stuff I did. And to be honest, I was full heartedly ready to sign on with a game company. And at like the 11th hour, my wife was like, you know, there's always going to be game companies out there. Um, it's DreamWorks. You might not get another chance. And um, she was like, we should just try it. And I was like, okay. And, and then we did. And <laughs> you know, here, here I am, you know, uh, was it now 14, 15 years later? Yeah, yeah. that's crazy. That's crazy. Now, um, so what was your first project at DreamWorks? Uh, the first Kung Fu Panda. Okay. That's yeah, a pretty cool project to jump it onto. Was and, and the weird thing was when I was interviewing for the job, I got interviewed for two different projects. I was B movie and Kung Fu Panda. I think it was Shrek three. Um, and I, I didn't know anything about Kung Fu Panda. Shrek I knew and uh -huh. I really liked the second one. Um, I thought it was a really funny, good film. Mm -hmm. And then I, I uh, B movie I didn't know anything about, but I knew Jerry Seinfeld. Everybody knew Jerry Seinfeld. Right, right. Kung Fu Panda there was like one image online, and I was like, I don't know anything about this. I don't know who this guy that's in charge of the film was. I knew the name of the guy that was in charge of B movie because he was an animator that I knew by name. He was a two D guy um, that I, I loved his work. He did um, it was Fabio. Uh, he did he was a soup on Aaron on Prince of Egypt, so I loved his work. Oh, cool. And then uh, I got picked by uh, Dan Wagner, who was in charge of Panda. And it was the, one of the best experiences I've ever had in the industry. And it was just so <laughs> well. Yeah. It, it was the perfect movie to start at a studio. It was No kidding. Fantastic. Yeah. No offense to B-Movie or Shrek 3, but Kung Fu Panda, the very first one, was definitely a, a, a good hit for you. Yeah, it, it was. it's probably my favorite uh, DreamWorks film, I think. Um, oh, cool. Okay. I worked on, but my favorite DreamWorks film. Really? Um, yeah, I think it's a, just a really, I think everything fired was perfectly firing on that film. Yeah. It was a really tiny crew. Um, and it was one of those rare occasions where uh, some of the story artists also ended up being animation supervisors. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Now, how, how did that benefit it then? Um, because you had people that were just familiar with the mature, like, where it started and where it was going. Okay. You know, it wasn't being reinvented in every department, which sometimes happens. Yes, yes, um, okay. And they knew what the essence of it. Sometimes they're the ones that did the boards themselves. Yeah. And, and so they could speak so clearly to the intent of it with the director in the room. And it, it was, to this day, probably one of the best experiences I've had in, this, in the industry. No, that's neat. Okay, very cool. That's saying a lot, I think. You know, when we going to get to talk with, you know, working with guys like Brad Bird and such. Yeah. That's, that's a neat, uh, that's like I said, saying something very cool. Um, from Kung Fu Panda, what was it shortly after that? Uh, Kung Fu Panda was a long run. Uh, and then I did a small, small stint on monsters versus aliens. Okay. That was, I think I came on towards the end of it. I was just helping out. And then, after that's that, where you got to know guys like Jason Ryan and when I'm assuming partly when Animate had started. No. Oh, no that would have been on uh, Shrek. No. I Animate was around 2010. 10. It was 2010, yeah. yeah this was 2000 this was 2006, I think, or 2007. Okay. Okay. Um and then I think Jason was new to the studio at the time. Yeah, that was his first um, project. I didn't know him that well because I came on a show like I said, towards the end. Okay. Wait, you know what? I might be wrong. He might have been the first, my first soup on that show. Okay. I can't remember. 
he might have, can't remember. I'm sorry, I can't remember now. Um, I think I met him on that show, yeah. The reason I would say that is because I just remember that time and it was just kind of neat because he kind of started handpicking guys like you who he had worked with. I think that was later though, yeah. I think that Okay, was, it might have been more on Shrek yeah. 4, I think it might have been. It might have been because at that time I had just gotten promoted to animator. I was, when I started at DreamWorks, I started as a crowd animator. Like okay. Background, uh, which is a great experience. I did it for like a year and a half, I think, for most of Kung Fu Panda. And it's just a great experience to learn and start uh, slowly and get to know the software and everybody. Uh, and then I just got promoted at the very end of that when I started on Monsters vs. Aliens. That was my first kind of show starting as an animator. Okay. And then, yeah, Shrek 4 was after that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, cool. um, was it easy to transition out of crowds to shots? At the time, or yeah. hero shots? Yeah, at the time, yeah. Um, the studio, when I was there, was extremely, at the beginning there, I was very supportive. Um, I was also very cautious, not knowing kind of what the right move was about how to do, like if I wanted to do tests on my free time or something. So I checked with production and I checked with my uh, supervisor and head of animation. And they were, they were insane. Like Dan Wagner and Rudolf Ganadin were extremely supportive. And they were like, you know, you can just do it on your free time, even if, not even, like, after hours or where you have no shot cast, just you can do it and then just come to us and show it to us. So they were really very cool, very supportive. And then at the end, they were the ones that were kind of fighting uh, for me and the animator who was with me doing it to get promoted. So they very were nice. really, really supportive. I've heard his name, Dan Wagner, many times. Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> incredible. Yeah, he's, he's one of those people that uh, he was 2D self-taught mm -hmm. and he, um, he is nothing short of like an animation prodigy. It's insane. Okay. He can do it all. He can do comedy, drama, real talented guy. That's amazing. Yeah. In that same podcast with um, Jim Banner, Kyle, he mentioned him um, as well. And just kind of mentioned one of those kind of uh, unsung heroes. Just, yeah. It, it sounds like he kind of likes it that way. Kind of keeping yeah, behind the scenes a little bit, but. Uh, he was nominated for like one or two Annie's and he didn't even go. Like he just doesn't <laughs> go. <laughs> I, and you know in, in a weird way i respect that more than anything else okay but to him he's just like he's all about the art form gotcha and he just he got where he was because he's just he's incredible his 2d stuff also is he was i think the soup on the villain in sinbad okay Fiverr character he's just a phenomenal animator oh that's cool yeah very cool um worked on Monsters vs. Aliens, Shrek 4, Rise of the Guardians. Uh, Kung Fu Panda 2. Kung Fu Panda 2, Dragons. And then Dragons 2, and then I leave around that time. Okay. That's a pretty impressive bio there. Um, <laughs> those, are, those are some great films at DreamWorks. Yeah. I, I somehow always ended up on the big films. Um, and so... And I also ended up going usually from, with the exception of Monster vs. Aliens, I always ended up uh, being, not in all cases, but a lot of the time, ended up being one of the first people on and then one of the last people off. Okay. Uh, which was always a great experience. Sometimes it was exhausting because it's just like you wanted to end, but at the same time, <laughs> it was, you were on a show for a year and a half, and that was just a really great experience. Okay. Getting to work with the team and stick yeah. with the characters for enough time to. Yeah. And developing a relationship with the director so they can trust you, get to know you and, and gotcha. do all the soups of the head of animation on it. Yeah. Any projects obviously outside of Kung Fu Panda that 
um, like to, is some of the ones I mentioned are kind of highlights in your mind as well? Um, yeah. People are usually surprised when I say this, but Shrek 4 uh, was a great experience. I Shrek- liked Shrek 4. I really you did. Know, what, what I'm saying is, is uh, you know, people, there's, I mean, I think there's a, an unfortunate stigma that sometimes goes on with Shrek. Um, yeah. But I, I have to say, um, I had a great time working on that film. Um, okay. I, 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 first of all, it was, it was a great show to be schedule-wise. The people that scheduled the show, the guy that ran the production or animation manager, which is amazing. He was like an okay. unthinking, he was so quiet. He was the office every late. I would see him walking by, I would walk by his office. And he was always like his headphones on looking at the schedule. And he just, <laughs> I was like, it was like him looking at the matrix or something, trying to understand <laughs> it. But he, they, they ran it in a way where God, I don't think we did almost any overtime on that show. Okay. Um, and I had great casting and a great soup on it. Anthony, Anthony Gray. And uh, I had a great team of people. I worked with some really top animators on, on the team I was on with. Uh, one of them who ended up being my soup on a, on the next project. Um, and then uh, the producer and the director, they were just, oh, they were just amazing. Mm. The produ- the director was one of the most appreciative people I have ever worked with in an industry. I remember my first dailies on Shrek. He, uh, I was just sitting in the back and I was watching him give notes to someone and he had just turned to that person and the shot was approved or something. And he turned to him and he went, um, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. I just need to ask this one little thing, but if you do this one change for me, it'll make it so much better. And I think the anime was kind of stunned. He's like, yeah, I'll, I'll do anything. But <laughs> I think just the the level of like uh, respect and appreciation that that director um, gave the artist was something that I think people were just like really stunned by. Mm. And and it was just like the producers were just these really fun, like hearted producers. I think one of them was a producer on the, I think she was a producer on the South Park movie. So she had a really quirky sense of humor. Okay. <laughs> it, it was a, it was it was a really fun production. It was just okay. yeah, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. That's interesting. I remember um, this is I don't remember when, but I did a podcast with Jason Ryan and Mike Walling mm. when they'd worked on the Crudes. The, yeah. um, and they mentioned that that was one of the best projects they'd worked on, and it was for very similar reasons. Just yeah. the, the way the production worked, and it was just so I. It's one of those things you get to actually enjoy doing what you do. Yeah, well, it's also they work with, you know, they had James and, and Chris Sanders. I mean, those are both like, like legendary people. And right. It was a, I think it was a fun show. I wasn't on it, but uh, I can't remember what was on at the time. Might have been Guardians. I, can't, I honestly can't remember. Okay. But um, yeah, I, I remember the people working on it. There were people, the guy behind me was working on it. He was having a blast. But just seems like very similar reasons. It was just yeah. one of those things, in addition to what you just mentioned, but just allowing it to go, and go smoothly and where you get to enjoy working in this craft, you know, this form. Um, yeah. Not have the extras that maybe come along with it, I guess. If that I makes think, sense. I think there's two kind of things that inspire people or, or give people a good experience on a show. Uh, one of them is always, regardless of what the project is, if you work with good people and you have a good experience, mm-hmm. you have good memories of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, if the production is running smooth uh, and, and, and in general, um, you're having a great time, you're going to remember it for the positive it was. Yeah. Uh, now, you might have a difficult show uh, where things are still kind of in flux, but if the film is a great film and it ends up being one of those benchmark films, mm-hmm. um, it's a tough show, but it's one of those toughs that you're willing to, you know, pull it out, lose a little bit of skin yeah. to achieve that. And I think those are two things that if you can get one of those things, you can claim a victory on for an experience in a show. Okay. 
Which in your career was the latter one? Uh, which would uh, you mean? Like what show in the uh, in your career was the latter one where you you go? It was just one of those benchmarks. I had to give a little skin in there. Oh, and it uh, was worth it. That Incredibles two. Uh, that would probably be Incredibles two and okay. Good Dinosaur. Okay. Um, I think for different reasons, I think those two definitely stand out. Yeah. Okay. We'll transition. Then we'll, we'll, we'll pivot here to, to Pixar. Okay. Um, how so, or why? Uh, the good dinosaur, I think, uh, first of all, working with Pete Stone, who I knew by name, um, was again, one of those directors who I couldn't believe how much he, he was just a collaborator. I, it's just like, I hadn't experienced a lot of that. And, um, he made you feel like the shots you were cast weren't just the most important shots. Like they were more important, but you also owned them. Like this is your, this is literally your part of the film. Mm. And, and he, it just, the way he would interact with you made, gave you that feeling in a way where you would just go like a hundred percent. And I don't mean like saying a hundred, I mean like there is only a hundred percent. That's right. A hundred percent. And I remember people on that show, the way the show was run by the supervising animator, Mike V, um, and the soups, it, by the directing animators, everybody was just full steam to the very end. It was just one of those shows where people were really jazzed. And I just remember this interaction with the director and he just, he was such a fan of the art form of the artist. You just wanted to give him everything you possibly could. That's cool. Yeah. It was now, I remember, I think you'd mentioned in that, um, when he had uh, asked you, what were you thinking on the shot? Yeah. <laughs> Could you? It was, it, was, it was my first run of shots. And, and, and again, my experience had been DreamWorks and, and it was just run differently. It's not bad. It's just, it's run differently. Right. And he, he kind of did this to everybody. He, he, he would see the shot and it wouldn't be what he thought it was going to be, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, at least that's my interpretation. And he would kind of just stop dailies and turn in a swivel in the chair and look at you. And he would just he would talk to me. What, what are you thinking? And you have to understand, like, I'm standing in the back and, and there's a tension on me. And I don't, I don't like attention. I usually stand in the back in the dark where nobody can see me. And, and there's, like, everybody. And there's, like, a full room. And there's, like, producers and, and, and heads of department and all the whole crew and department is there. And he's just trying to have a talk with you. And I'm like, dude, whatever. Just tell me what you want. I mean, I didn't see that, but that was kind of what I was thinking. I'm like, what do I'll do? And he's like, no, 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 just talk to me here. And, and then you tell him what you were thinking and he kind of pauses, he turns, he plays and he's like, okay, I can see that. And, and then he continues to go through it. And I'm like, what just happened? That's how things run at Pixar, right? Um, <laughs> that's the studio is very collaborative. Dailies especially is, is this very collaborative place where ideas are just thrown out and everybody has a say. And, and I, I wasn't used to, to director, like looking at me and going, so, Hey, what you're thinking about? Let's talk. talk. It was just like, dude, whatever you want. I'll do it. <laughs> I was ready for it. That's part. awesome. What I love about that, that's, that's just my personality. And that's, I think why I started the podcast here at iAnimate. I, I've always liked conversation. It's one of those things that it's, it, it get out ideas. You, you bounce things off one another. Um, and for me, I just, okay. Even if I have a chance to be heard, if I'm wrong, it, there's an opportunity to be 
corrected them because I've been hurt. You know what I'm saying? If he asks you, okay, what were you thinking on this? And you're like, I was thinking this and that. Oh, okay, okay. This won't work because of this, this, and that. You're like, oh, okay, cool. Now I've got more information. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I just, I like that philosophy because even if I'm wrong, so to speak, I'm going to learn from it from the feedback I get having now communicated, you know? Yeah. And I think that's what made Pete such an amazing director. And it's that, you know, A, if you, if you were getting to what he wanted, he was cool with it. Okay. But if I wasn't and I explained what I was going for, then he could just go, okay, I understand what you're going for, but I need this from the shot. Right. So go this direction. And that's what made the experience so great. Like the communication was open. And then, you know, having that communication between us and forcing me to speak up, then if anybody else had a different idea or were trying to clarify it or could take my idea and tweak it, that's when that happens in dailies. It happens in front of the whole crew. Right. Everybody has a say. And so there's no surprises at the end. It's just like everybody, you know, can see the shot, either, you know, make their comments and then the shot could get better. Or they can decide, no, you know what, it kind of works. So it, it's, I think that's what is kind of the power of the studio in that way is that that room enables to have that conversation. And, and gotcha. it, it's, I think it benefits us a lot. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Do you find some artist struggle with that a little bit for the same reasons that you were kind of talking about? Maybe, okay, let me back that up. Not maybe necessarily for the same reasons, meaning that, hey, I wasn't used to it, but maybe personality-wise. I just, like you're saying, I just want to sit in the back, tell me what to do, and I'm going to keep, I can keep going. I can, you find some artists, or they just learn to adapt to that philosophy at Pixar because everybody's just collaborative. And I think, I think everybody, I think you adapt to it. Um, but I think in the end, in, in the end, um, I don't think it's easy. I'm not, I'm not going to say for everybody. I think it's not easy for everybody. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's a situation where you are, taking your work and you're, you're putting it in front of the department. Mm -hmm. And this is for the first time. We have a thing where usually no one will see the shot except for the director for the first time. Like the leads don't want to see the shot usually until the director's seen it. Mm. Because, and the philosophy is that the director is the person that has all the answers. You know what I mean? It's their gotcha. vision. And so the idea is, is, is your leads are there to guide you. They're not there to direct you. They're to guide you. That's what the director's for. So they want to show it in dailies first so that everybody has that like immediate, like first Im impression. Mm -hmm. So I think everybody has that feeling where it's terrifying, you know, and I think it's true of every artist, you know, right, right. self-conscious, you know, you, you put all this emotional effort into your work and sometimes in the wrong way, you, you miss, you know, you tie your, your confidence, your emotions, your, your, your ability to, to that shot. Yeah. And, and, and it's not that you're not good at what you do you sometimes might just miss the mark. Right. You know I mean? And so I think it's terrifying for everybody as an artist. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, beyond that, I think, I know, I know people that will only show in dailies. They okay. will show in like walkthroughs or drive-bys because dailies, they want to have the conversation. They want it to be seen by everybody, that everybody has an opportunity to have the discussion. Interesting. So, yeah, I, I think there are, you know, personalities and I'm one of those as well that, I'm sometimes scared to show in dailies because okay. I've been doing this a long time, but still it's like, it's, it's your work is who you are. It's like, right. <laughs> it's kind of and you're way. amongst some peers that are very talented and stuff. Very, so. yeah. And, and, <laughs> you know, sometimes it goes well and sometimes not so well. <laughs> what was um, some of the biggest things you had to uh, adjust or adapt to having transitioned from, you know, because every studio has their own 
philosophies and DNA. Um, so what was some of the things that you had to learn at Pixar? I know, you know, you were there, I think, when Rush jumped over around the same time with you and, um, or. I think he was, a, I think it was a few years after actually. Okay. Was he? Okay. Yeah. But kind of from the same, um, vein, he'd been at DreamWorks for many, many yeah. years, you know, um, you sort of come into a new studio that has a, a whole different culture. Um, and I know even probably, I think from Disney, you might have a different culture from even Pixar and they're, you know, owned by the same company. Um, what were some of the things that you had to learn to adapt to? And uh... I think part of it was, um, I think what the focus was at the studio. Like okay. when you look at the shot, the question is always asked, okay, so what's the idea of the shot? And, and that, that question is asked just so for clarity. And so what that means is there was a lot of focus, at least on the films that I was working on uh, at DreamWorks, on, on physicality. Like mechanics and physicality was, it was a huge focus. Okay. I'm not saying that doesn't exist at, at, at Pixar, but um, the idea is kind of the core of every shot. Like, why is this shot in the film? Like, okay. We able to answer that. And so um, I think for me, I, I changed my workflow when I first got there a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I changed again uh, later on. But for me, it was trying to always find the core idea of every shot and try to simplify everything about the acting to that one core idea. Okay. It meant that while at DreamWorks, there was stuff that we always, at least I did, and, and in the movies I worked on, we put a lot of interesting stuff, like detail into the animation. That's sometimes stuff that was, in the end, not, at least in, in, in the view of the kind of work we do here, is not a necessity for the shot. And, and so it's always trying to find the simple, clear idea of what you're trying to say in the shot mm. and, and focusing on that. Okay. Yeah. Which is fantastic. That's what I, one of the stuff I loved learning in your class, your workshop. Um, it was very much, I, you used that term, um, motion versus emotion. Yeah. Most, I always say, uh, kind of what's like, is it, uh, is it motion or is it emotion? And I always usually say, was it what the shot needs to be versus what you want it to be right right and those two things tend to be in, in conflict a lot for animators <laughs> have this yeah i mean we have this need kind of it's a very you know um explanation of what our name is animators you know it's, it's to diffuse with life and and so we want to move things around we mm-hmm. want to show how well we can do things how well we can do overlap how well we can do mechanics and sometimes the biggest struggle is like, well, you don't really need to do anything. In this right. Shot. It, this shot's about you not doing anything. Right. It's a struggle a lot of the time for people. It was very freeing though. Um, learning that and going through that with my shot back in January with you. Yeah. It was very freeing because it, it helped um, focus. I think a, a lot of the time to that very nature, instead of just, randomly kind of adding animation or what should I be doing here? Because, you know, for animation sake, so to speak, it became more about that idea. What am I trying to accomplish here? And that helped focus then. That's why I think the freeing part, because you want, okay, this is going to now dictate my acting choices or my movement now based upon that. Um, it became, the target was, I think, a little bit clearer, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I know that tends to be the thing I tell, I imagine at some point my students just are tired of hearing the broken record of me saying, yeah, I don't know if you need that. Yeah. I don't know if you need that too. Maybe we could lose that. And, and in the end, that's 
kind of what it is. It's you're trying to edit it out. And I'm not going to say it doesn't happen to me. I, I show my work sometimes to fellow, like to colleagues and, you know, one or two individuals and they'll be like, Hey, do you need that? And I'm like, Oh, I don't know. Let's delete it and see if I miss it. And if right. I don't, then I don't need it. And, right. and you know, I think that's the thing. It's like, you gotta, we all have to get better at the self editing thing, but you also need your friends to kind of, to have that second, you know, set of eyes. And I think, everybody right. it, you know, so you don't, because sometimes we fall in love with our shot or we are, we become numb to it. We're not able to see it anymore. Right. And that's one of the things, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. I tell my kids this cause it's even doesn't even have to deal with the animation, but uh, Jason Ryan who does or even weekly demos that I animate he mentions multiple times, we're all blind to our own work. Yeah. And so I, I love that because I'm going, here's a guy who's been in the industry for what, probably 30 years, almost 20, late twenties. Um, and here he's still going, I, I can do the same thing. It, we need our peers and stuff. So I, mm -hmm. one of the things, like I said, even when it's not animation, I'm talking to my kids. I'm like, guys, we, you know, we can be blind to our own stuff here, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I just, I love that idea of leaning on other people for that extra eyes. I mean, this is an industry, um, uh, we make these things together, right? It takes a village. Yeah. Um, you know, if you go, if you try to hide away somewhere in a corner, you're not doing yourself any favors. Mm. Um, and so, I mean, I don't, I, there's definitely individuals I go to that I, I trust, but they also are very honest with me. The ones especially like at work, like they're very honest and they're very honest. <laughs> I mean, I love that. They're not trying to sugarcoat it. I don't. I don't get a compliment sandwich out of them. I mean, they're very like. And I mean, I get like the one of them is French. So I get the French head shake. Like, oh, really? I mean, and, you know, it keeps you honest. You like, and, and you're like, why? What? Explain to me why you don't like this. And and they tell me, I'm like, okay, fine. Like, yeah. And and it's fair, you know. It's it's good to have your kind of always checked. Do you have a balance of uh, those kind of guys and gals that you're around you, where it's like. They're brutally honest and they're the ones that are like, hey, man, this is good, but let's kind of, you know, or is it just your yeah, personality I mean, where you're like. They're very honest. And that's probably why I, I, I go to them. I, I, I'm, I'm, I like efficiency. And I think the fact that they're very direct, I like. But I okay. work with them. I mean, I'll, they'll show me their work and I'll be as direct. And I'll, you know, but it's not like, it's not about, you know, just crapping on their work. It's just, they'll ask, why are you doing that? And I'll be like, well, I was thinking this. and like, yeah, I don't think you're, it's coming across or it's like, I don't think you need that. Gotcha. So okay. It comes back to that same conversation of why. Okay. And I think that's the thing that's, that when you ask that question, if you can answer it, then that's great. Then you can have a conversation and maybe it's justified. If you can't answer it and you say, oh, I thought it was a cool thing to do, then you're probably in trouble. <laughs> that's the motion part, not the emotion, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you gotten better? At um, okay, let me let me. Not better as in present, but maybe throughout your career, have you noticed times when you were um, that that curve of being able to receive uh, criticism became easier? Um, I, I think so. You know, when you when you're young, at least when I was, I was very stubborn, and um, not that I'm not now, but um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had a hard time letting go of my ideas. Okay. And um, I think I think it was around Kung Fu Panda 2. I got to a point where I'm like, sure, I'll try anything. Okay. Understanding that 
uh, I might be the best animator for the shot. I might not always be the best actor for the shot. Do you know what I mean? Okay. And again, understanding that you want to collaborate with people. Um, once that happens um, and, and you try to figure out what's best for the shot, you're willing to try a lot of stuff. Okay. Um, and again, it depends who it comes from sometimes. Then I always catch myself. If at first I hear something I don't like, I kind of stop myself and I go, okay, wait a minute. All right, hold on. Let me think about this. Mm. Let me look at it. Is that a fair note? I'm like, you know what? That is a fair note. That's a justified note. I'm going to take that note. And, gotcha. and go from there. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's a, it's a great thing. I just, I know we've got, you know, artists from variety of skill sets. Some are new students. Some have been in the industry for a long time who listen to this. Um, but I just, so it's always looking for a little tips, tricks that, you know, maybe you've come across where all of a sudden you're like, nah, I click for me here. Because for me, it's one of those things I'm learning. I'm going, I always wanted to hit things right the first time. And yeah. all of a sudden I realized I'm going, that's not going to happen. As soon as I realized that wasn't going to happen, it became much easier to receive notes because I was expecting it. I, I work with some of the best people in this industry. And I can tell you amongst them, even the best people in this industry that I've worked with, the very best, don't always hit it. At, I mean, not only they did not always hit it out of the park, it's rare that they ever get it the right first time. Right. Um, and it's not that they got it wrong. It's, it's again, animation is so subjective, like mm -hmm. the acting side of it, that, you know, there could be always a better idea or a different idea. Right, right. And it's whatever the director's vision is. So, it, you know, it's rare that anybody ever hits it right out of the park. Right. But I think as soon as you kind of start realizing it, you're like, okay, I'm willing, give me the notes because I already know they're coming, you know? <laughs> you open yourself up to that, your shot's only going to get better. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so now you mentioned you changed your workflow when you got to Pixar and then you changed it again. Yeah. Okay, so what, this is going to determine my question here, the workflow that you were talking about and taught us um, in a workshop, was that the second time you changed it? Yeah. That's, okay. that's the most updated one. and That's, that's what I thought. Okay. That, that so what was the before. first workflow then that you changed from, say, from DreamWorks to Pixar? And well, then... I, I, I Do you want to explain the, the way you were doing it at DreamWorks first and then kind of if that helps? Um, so at DreamWorks, there was, at the time I was there, I don't, I don't know how it is now. Uh, there was, like I said, there was a focus on mechanics and, and the type of shows we were doing were very human-based, bipedal. Mm -hmm. Uh, naturalistic realistic and so there was a lot of use of uh, reference there was a lot of going into your shot with your reference and you would kind of very much flush out the whole shot mechanics sometimes you would even do the face you would just leave the face off turn it off or hide it and it would just be about the physical mechanics of the body um and i remember um that, that was the focus for for the last two three shows that i was there Rise of the Guardians, uh, Dragons. Dragons, Rise of the Guardians, maybe the very end of Panda 2. Okay. Um, and then when I went up to Pixar, um, I remember trying to work like that. I think is it one of the soups kind of was like, what are you doing? Where's the face? I'm like, oh, I'm not focusing on that. I'm like, what do you mean you're not focusing on the face? I'm like, well, no, I focus on the mechanics. Like, I don't understand. I want to see the expression. And so immediately you're kind of like, oh, okay, they have different priorities in the blocking. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that had to change. Um, and it wasn't a massive change, but it was, you know, just a slight change. Mindset. To, yeah, to the mindset. Um, but a chunk of the workflow still existed that I had from DreamWorks because it was efficient and I, and I, it, I trusted it. 
Um, but over time, elements of it changed. Um, for instance, I stopped, uh, when I first got to the studio, I stopped using, um, to be fair, I stopped doing that as well at DreamWorks. I, I didn't use stepped keys or what is okay. keys in Maya. Um, I think that's just very dangerous for when you go to clean stuff up. It just takes a lot of work to clean up. You're kind of animating the shot more than once that you have to without any notes. Uh, <laughs> you know, I found we're just working in spline um, and maybe showing stuff was easier. Um, but then I stopped that uh, after a while as well. I think that's okay. all on Incredibles too. Okay. That's kind of when you it talked about that a little bit. One of the things I liked that you had mentioned and I've, was that you felt, and again, everybody's got their own opinion and workflow, but you felt like it was kind of, um, for lack of a better word, term, cheating because it it communicated something that wasn't quite there yet, in the in the in stepped, if, that, if I remember oh, correctly. Um, I, I I don't know if cheating is the right word. I think um, misleading. Maybe. Misleading. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I, and I think it wasn't that you, the animator is misleading on purpose. It's just when there's. Um, depending on how you, you blocked, if you're doing it on, on twos, then it'd be, that's something else. Right. Um, but then that's a lot of work that you then have to go and clean up also. Right, right. Um, but if you're doing it on fours and sixes or eights, a lot of the time what I found was that people are filling in the blank. Right. With what they thought was going to be there. Mm -hmm. In your mind, it's very clear what's going to be there because you're animating it. But in everybody else's mind, it's going to be something else. Right. And I found that a lot of the time there was a huge misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. um, and so the question is, is like, okay, do you add more information to your blocking? Maybe, but then if your blocking is wrong, did you just waste time? Right. Um, it's all a question of, you know, when you're working in the industry, you, you, you do want to do the best job you can. You want to find the best idea. You want to do great work, but the realities are there's also an efficiency stand to it. Mm -hmm. These shots have to get done on a certain date. Even if it's the greatest shot in the world, you'll get a certain amount of leeway, and that's great. But you also, you know, if you're if you're taking your sweet time, someone else has to pick up the slack, mm. and that's not fair to them. Right. So you, you do the best work you can, and I found just working in an efficient, healthy workflow um, that wasn't let's call it destructive. Okay. Enabled you to make changes on the fly, and yeah. then things were clear. And I think on Incredibles, that's kind of where. Incredibles 2, that's kind of where, um, uh, you know, I had to adjust my workflow for Brad in a positive way. Can you explain a little further? Yeah. So um, I, I, you know, was trying, I mean, I was so jazzed to be on that film. To that <laughs> Brad Bird. Uh, and so I was like 100% into it and just doing everything I can. And I got cast by the soups. It's really great when I've shot in the beginning, the whole kitchen stuff. Um, with, you know, Bob and the milk carton and the orange juice with the kids in the morning. And um, I was just ready to go. And I just, Brad couldn't tell what the hell I, I was going through. <laughs> uh, and, and it was all me. And then um, one of my, you know, one of my friends at work, he comes up to me and he'd been in the studio for a long time. He's worked with Brad. And he's like, and he knows I can do the job, but he's like, yeah, but Brad's just not understanding your work. And And then he's like, you're putting too much in. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And then he had me call up um, an animator shot from the original Incredibles, but he had me look at it um, like in a play blast version without any okay. talk or anything. So I could just see what it was like without all the pretty render and stuff, like mm. what it was. 
And when I saw it, I'm like, oh, cool. So that's, that's what he wants. And, and then suddenly, like, I understood that Brad, like, I think the way to say it is, like, Brad is not about fluff. Like, the fluff of animation. Like, all the overlappy, fancy. Like, he is, like, the stuff we talked about, clarity and idea, he is an extreme of that. Like, he just wants the core idea. Nothing else. And, and once I saw this, I was easily able to adjust my workflow um, to just focus on this thing. And, and about to Brad, it felt like it was about the rhythm and, and the energy of the shot and the texture of it. And, and once you're able to kind of find that, he responded really well to that. Uh-huh. And then there was nothing left to chance. And what was cool in this workflow, it required a little bit more work, you know, a few more hours in the blocking stage. But then that saved me days in the cleanup stage. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So if you take his class, that you'll get the secret sauce on, on that workflow. And just, again, the benefit of it, that's what's been uh, – I really appreciate it. It's, it's very much of a 2D um, approach, right, but just in more of an spline. Yeah. I, I think it, it's still pose-based. And, 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 I mean, that, that's not the way you have to work. I know other animators that work in Incredibles, probably the person who did my fair work in Incredibles was Layered, and he's just an mm. amazing layered animator right right and he's like twice as fast he literally did twice as much footage and i did incredible too. <laughs> and i wasn't going slow i could tell you that he just did twice as much work as everybody um uh but for me it the response from brad was so positive that i adopted it and it served me really well on, on the following shows okay that's what i was going to ask you because of what he was looking for how did that same workflow continue in regards to other directors who may were looking for similar, but maybe in a different way, I guess. I, I don't know that they did. The thing with, for me, I think what was with Brad is it shifted my mind. Okay. And it shifted my mind in a positive sense where, again, it, it was, it, it's, I think it comes back to that same thing. What's the core idea of the shot, the core mm-hmm. idea of like what's supposed to happen. And I think with Brad, it went to an extreme of like, it's just that, you know, no fluff. It's just the bare necessities animated very well but mm-hmm. still the bare necessities and and you know i think on the following show which was i think toy story 4 it was a lot very prevalent that in that workflow i was able to get to core idea and the chunk of run of the run i had on that stuff okay and and i think it just enabled me to sh- kind of I had, I had some really cool shots there um between uh bo peep and 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 woody and that workflow enabled to to really sell the idea really clearly. Very cool. And, and it worked uh, for me. And, and it, again, I, I feel that it, either, even if the shot's not successful when I show, the intent is there, meaning that I stand behind it. That's the idea. If it doesn't land, okay, then I have to find a different idea now. Okay. I'm not saying that this suddenly made me approve everything. Not at all. I definitely get notes. But I can go, there's no... Ambiguity on Right, yeah. right. It is, it is what it is. If you don't like it, let's talk about why not and where we can go, go with it. Gotcha. I really like Toy Story 4. It is a great I, film. I thought it was, it was really – and particularly the, the relationship between Bo Peep and uh, Woody. Yeah. There I was think, just some – go ahead. No, I, I think Josh, the director, was just an amazing director to work with. He had a great sense of humor, and I think a lot of that came through in the film. And Axel, the editor, I think – those guys did just an amazing job and you know the crew it, it, it was cool because it was like a history to that project i mean it's the fourth film that's yeah people that had worked on the first one 
and it was just you know it was an amazing experience of having all that like institutional memory like right built in and it was like it, it was a great experience and these are iconic characters you know i mm-hmm. took my daughter to see my oldest daughter saw that with me at the studio and she cried and, <laughs> and i'm like i'm looking around like everybody's crying I'm like yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was good. like people like wads of tears like oh. yeah really cool effect what's really funny about that movie too is because i've heard how emotional it was and it was funny because for me it was a different emotion but from my oldest son and my wife it was similar in nature and the, the thing that kind of affected me was it depends on people's um life experience mm-hmm. so for my wife and my son oldest one if we've had people who've been in our lives and maybe moved out of uh, town or state or whatever they really resonated with the relationship of spoiler alert um, <laughs> of Woody leaving his friends yeah for me I was like he's got Bo Peep it was that idea of the the relationship there so it was like oh that's cool here but i remember that's you know kind of sad here but i'm going he's got the girl you know so it was just it was interesting to see how that played i guess for different people but yeah like i said my wife and my son were like man that was rough you know um the show had i mean the show uh, had a large crew and, and had just some of the shots on that stuff it just blew me away some of the stuff and the conversations that were going on in dailies were fantastic i mean it was just Again, uh, I just don't want, I don't want to name drop, but there was all these animators that you know that I respect and have you know, and you look at their stuff. Oh man, some of the stuff they did with um, you know Gabby Gabby in the crate mm-hmm. at the end of the film when she feels dejected and stuff. I mean, that's yeah, heartbreaking. And 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 some of the stuff between uh, Gabby Gabby and Woody uh, when she's trying to convince him to give up the the music. I mean, all that stuff, the music box. Yeah, it's just really powerful stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oof. And again, it, it's beautiful because it's minimal. There's not, okay. there's not a lot you were supposed to do with those characters. That's what I was just going to ask you. Yeah, and people stuck to that. There was like this thing about like not doing, and so it, it comes again down to like the editor has to sell this core core idea, the shot. Yeah. And and it just shows you when it's done right, it's done so well. I mean, people were crying, man. I, I thought <laughs> it was people were just like bawling. I'm like, uh-huh. this worked. It worked really well. Yeah, yeah. No, that's what I was going to ask because I remember uh, talking at one point and talking about the difference because for coming from Incredibles two to Toy Story four, and you just talking about going, they have to move like toys. So yeah. There's a lot that you can't do, and so now I'm starting to think about when you're talking about this. I'm going, you have to sell that back into that simplicity because you're going particularly as toys. You're trying to keep them to they can't all of a sudden now get all real fleshy on you, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think to the, to the credit of the soups on the show, they, they, they were very much like, we really want to make this feel like, you know, Toy Story 2 or something like that, where it's like toys, you know, not humanoid, but not, not overly polished, like polished to the right amount of what a toy would be, uh-huh. but not to the point where it comes alive and it's just a human acting in a toy suit. Mm. And, uh, you know, the tests that people came up with and the stuff they did with like uh, do kaboom and stuff and, mm-hmm that have very limitation and all that stuff, <laughs> you know, that's, that's choices that I don't know that many studios would necessarily do. Gotcha. And I think what's cool about it is that each character is very unique, right? Mm-hmm. You can definitely remember how the toy moved. And I think that's some of those things about acting that, you know, makes, you know, a performance in animation and in film that that uniqueness stands out and that character becomes really memorable. Yeah. I remember at one point, uh, Ducky and Bunny, 
bunny should be easy to remember. I remember thinking at one point, okay, their arms have to rip apart. Yeah. And, and where they can now just kind of be more free and going back to what you're saying there, no, they, that was a choice that they're going to, they're, they're stuck. And how do we animate this and continue, continue in that and continuity? Yeah. Even about peep sheep. I mean, it, it, you know, there's a lot of limitation in how they move. Even mm-hmm. about peep, like she was a ceramic doll. I mean, you, you don't want her to come off overly fleshy, mm. you know? And so there's a, there's a delicateness to how she's supposed to move. So she doesn't crack more than she already has. Uh, versus, you know, if you watch it, if you watch it again, versus let's say someone like Woody, who's a very rag doll. Right. They're both rag dolls. So they're all about looseness and kind of um, and not necessarily flowy motion, but very overlap. Not again, not overlapping in a negative sense, but floppy, let's call it. Mm. Um, and she, she can't be that right. It, 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 you lose believability of who she is. If she suddenly starts to move like that as characters. She was probably my favorite character. She was, her performance in that movie was great. And I loved, um, this is my own take. I loved the balance between the um, roughness warrior type, but still very feminine and, and that balance. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, She she wasn't a, she wasn't a female Rambo. Yeah. And that, that's it. it. There was this, but she was, she had been a little bit more hard and she'd been out on her own, yeah. but yet there was still that tenderness and femininity there. It was yeah. just, it was a beautiful balance. I, just, I loved it. Again, the show, I think the show had a, a great crew that really, I mean, the conversations and dailies were fantastic. Mm. I mean, it, it was cool. There were people calling out, Hey, is this, you know, is this, uh, Jesse from after this project or from this project? You know, there were people because they had worked on so many of, the, the supplementary stuff, like the direct-to-DVDs. Gotcha. Case. You, you had people who knew these characters inside out in a way that you know, I've, I've never seen before, and so mm. they could immediately tell you what was right or what was wrong about okay. the character, and it just, you know, I, that's why I felt like, even though there was a, a good chunk of people that had never worked on Toy Story film, it was very faithful who the characters were. Gotcha. You had such a rich history already behind it, and the, like you said, the artists that were still there. Yeah, yeah. There, was, there were people that had worked on Toy Story once still in the department. <laughs> That's crazy. <Yeah. laughs> That's great, man. Yeah, I really, really liked it. I, I was actually very surprised, not because, I mean, Pixar has such a great track record, but a fourth in the series. You know, a sequel is tough enough to, to follow up on, but, you know, a fourth. And uh, I just, I was completely blown away at how much I really enjoyed that one. So, yeah. I'm very proud of the film. I, I mean, I was very thankful to, to work on a, on a Toy Story film, and, and when I was watching in theater and, and people's reaction, I'm like, wow, we did it, you know, it's a Toy Story film, and, and it was, it was kind of one of those things, like I said, it's one of those movies where you're like, okay, this is, this is one of those stamps on, on, on yeah, where you're like, this will go down, and, and, and you're very proud to have been a part of that, that's cool. You've had two unique ones here, having, um, with Toy Story 4 and Incredibles, to be able to have worked on, you know, yeah. having looked at ones that... I guess my point is that you could have easily have missed those two and, and never, like I think you mentioned before, you may never get to work with Rabbit again, depending on how yeah, can work, I, things I, like yeah. that. And I'm going, what a neat well, opportunity to get to work I'm, with someone yeah, like that yeah. and on these IPs. Yeah. I mean, uh, technically, uh, 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 Toy Story 4 was my fourth sequel at the studio, I think in a row, but, uh, okay. but yeah. <laughs> that's true. But, but, um, you know, Brad, I also knew from the 2D day, like I didn't know him, but I knew of him from 2D. Right. I saw Iron Giant and Family Dog and, you know, I mean, it's Brad Bird. And then you saw Incredibles. That, that changed the industry. I mean, that just yeah. The shitty, yep. 
CG industry. And then you had Ratatouille, which just like, you know, I remember seeing that and it artistically is one of the most phenomenal looking CG films I've ever seen. And yeah. Um, and it, it's like, it was the closest thing I remember seeing. I think, wow, that's the closest thing I've seen to like a 100 Mile Dalmatians, you know, animated mm. film. So artistically driven. And then that, when I heard he was coming back and like, I get to work on a film, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I like to think of things in um, kind of milestones. Is there anything that, you know, that you learned? Uh, okay. I, mean, I know there's plenty of stuff you learned during your time on Incredibles 2 with Brad, but anything that you that are stand out for you that you kind of take now with you as an artist? From Brad? Yeah. Um, again, I think it's, what I love about Brad is his decisiveness. Like the dude is, he's able to just come in, say yes, no, why it's important. And as a filmmaker, you're able to decide um, where to focus his energy. Okay. Um, and I, I thought that was really impressive. And, and I learned a lot from that as well as also just, again, like I said, clarity. And I think that's part of it. It's efficiency. It's like where you spend your energy, given the reality of productions, um, and, and to make the, sh the, the film really sing, like really stand out and, and, and achieve what you're trying to achieve. And, um, you know, I think there's this weird thing with Brad is like a high of working on a film, a Brad film. Everybody, okay. The guy has so much energy. Okay. He gets the department so jazzed. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the guy has so much energy and it's, it's intoxicating. Mm -hmm. And it's just afterwards you're like, what just happened? <laughs> it's, such, it's such an amazing experience um yeah if you can ever work on a brad film you totally should. <laughs> like i said it was just cool because the one i'm be uh releasing obviously before this one here is with jim and he worked with him on uh iron, iron giant. giant and said the yeah. exact same thing just that energy that he and he said he just talked about making you feel like you genuinely contributed to yeah. the film yeah i mean I'll be honest, I, I had some really awkward moments with Brad because I, I was so nervous because it's like, I'd worked on a film with him for a year, but I was still nervous all the time because it's Brad Bird. <laughs> and I always had these weird conversations with him where I would like the next day meet with my manager be like, was that awkward? And they're like, nah, it was fun. Like, <laughs> cool. Uh, but I, you know, it, it was a great experience. I, I, it is definitely one of the high points of my career. I, I loved it. And I, I, in a weird way, I just never wanted the show to end. I just gotcha. didn't. I, I, was, I mean, it was intense, but I was having such an amazing time. That's great. With the crew and the show and Brad and the snoops and the directing amateurs. It was such a great time that I just, I just, and I love those characters. The characters are just so fun to animate. They're so appealing. Mm. Yeah, I just never wanted it to stop. That's great. Any tips for demo reels? Students? But yeah, yeah, I know you've been in the industry long enough now to see many demo reels come through. Uh, put only your best stuff on and put it up in the front. Don't, okay. I don't care what anybody says about put your second best stuff first and your, your best stuff at the end. Trust me, if you don't sell that reel in the first 10 seconds, no one's going to get to the end of it. Okay. Uh, so definitely put your best stuff front and just put your best stuff on it. You know, okay. don't, don't filler it. It's okay to have a minute reel. It's okay to have a two minute reel. It doesn't have to be a three or five minute reel. Actually, shorter, better. Just put the very best stuff you got on it. All right. All and right. have a variety of stuff. Okay. Um, that's good to know too. Um, what are some of the most 
what work are you most proud of that you've done animation wise? Uh, uh, I mean, hmm. I know it's not easy to walk away from a shot and be like, bam, I felt, I felt real, you know, great about that one or something. Is there ones that you look back and you go, I just, I felt like I gave it. what I wanted to communicate is there and I'm, I'm very happy with that one. Uh, I'm very proud of the first Kung Fu Panda stuff I did as an animator because I got promoted on that show. So it has a special place for me. Um, and I am very proud of the stuff. I think, um, most of it also holds up surprisingly. So mm -hmm. <laughs> even how old it is, um, <laughs> I'm pretty proud of a lot of the stuff on Panda two as well. Um, and good dinosaur. I'm very proud. I remember the good dinosaur stuff I saw. I remember seeing that at the rep party and it was the first time I remember looking at my stuff and going, I don't think it would have changed anything. And I don't think I've ever thought that before. Okay. That was the first time I actually looked at every single shot I did and like, no, I'm good with all of it. And I don't gotcha. think I've ever felt that before. Uh, and then Incredibles too. I'm extremely proud of that stuff. Mm. Cool. Uh, I'll be honest. I'll say uh, I, I wasn't on, I wasn't on, I wasn't on Toy Story 4 very long. But the, the, the one chunk I was given there that was uh, uh, the, the part between uh, Bo Peep and Woody, very proud of that stuff. Uh, I'd never gotten to do that kind of stuff at the studio. And uh, I was lucky the Supes gave me the opportunity. And um, I think it turned out uh, pretty, I'm, I'm happy with it. Very cool. Any characters in particular that you've just, you go, man, if I could ever animate on them again, this is who it would be? Yeah, it'd definitely be Poe. Uh, I mean, Poe is just fun to animate. Okay. Um, but realistically, just the the Par family, Incredibles. Okay. They're just the level of of appeal on those characters is just unmatched. Unmatched. Bob especially, okay. it was just so so fun to animate. Um, you know, Dash, Vi. I did a lot of Vi stuff. Violet. She was just. They were just great characters to animate. Very cool. Yeah. Um, any stuff that you enjoy doing outside of work? You know, you have a wife and children, yeah. plural. So yeah. that obviously keeps you very busy. Yeah. Um, but I'm just, I'm talking about like, um, what's the word I'm going to put down here? A healthy life balance, you know? Are there things that you uh, enjoy outside of, of work? Uh, I mean, the odd thing I do that probably to the, to the very chagrin of my wife is I, I bake a lot. Like I cook. Okay. Home. Like my wife takes care of the cooking during the week when we're busy. But on the weekends, I, I try to do all the cooking. So she oh, that's great. Yeah, and then I've been trying to learn to play guitar for the last 10 years. I don't know if it's actually going well because I still can't play anything. <laughs> but I'm trying. That's great. And I've heard that uh, for music too, the rhythms and textures, things like that help with, you know, beat, thinking of animation that way. So yeah, maybe that... But I, I don't know that I'm good at that. Uh, okay. <laughs> I've been trying for a long time. It's not kind of okay, but I'm not, not making huge leaps forward. All right. Just, I mean, it's, it's stuff like that. Um, I, I like, I'm learning to speak Spanish right now, you know, it's one of those things that just little extra stuff that's just kind of fun to do, you know, in addition to. I think it's also becoming a, like a, a well-rounded individual. I think yeah. school and, and, and um, prioritizing things in life, I think is really important. Like I said, mm -hmm. I have kids and I know you have kids and, and um, I think at some point when you're young and you're willing to sacrifice a lot to stay at work late or to do stuff at home, and at some point you have to make a choice of like, okay, I can do that or I can spend that time with my kids. And, and, you know, if I don't see my kids that often, you definitely want to do that. Right. So I think, you know, making those choices, you know, everybody has to make their own choices, but yeah, it's, it's important. Okay. 
couple more. Um, your outlook on the industry. I know you, Claus or Klaus has just recently come out. Have you seen that yet? Yeah, I did. I saw that, and I also saw. Um, I lost my body. I think it's called. I've I've heard of that. People yeah. were talking about that, but I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, that's an interesting one as well. Uh, okay. I think Klaus is interesting because that's pure 2D, a Western style 2D, which I've not seen in a long time at that level. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was really, really pretty film, mm -hmm. well animated, well designed. Um, and uh, I lost my body. I saw it this past week. And that's a French production. And um, again, I, I love the fact that it's just so different. Okay. Like it couldn't be more polar at opposite of Klaus. Okay. And not, it's not a bad thing. I think that's right, right. really cool that stuff like that exists in this industry. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I saw um, Weathering With You, which was from the same director who did um, Your Name. I don't know if you stuff. He did uh, his stuff. Um, oh, God, I can't, for the life of me, I can't remember. I can look it up really quickly. The name. Um, sorry. Uh, and if I, I probably will overly, like, destroy the name of the director. Um, Makoto, Makoto Shinkai. I think if I'm pronouncing it even closely correctly, um, uh, I, like very different again from, you know, those two as well. Okay. So I, I love the fact that there's these very stylistically, very different films being made mm -hmm. all over the world. And I think that's great. And, and also just very different, like Klaus is 2d digital. Um, and then I think, uh, weathering with you is, is classic like enemy style, which is on paper and pencil. Okay. And then, um, I think I lost, uh, I lost my body. I think if I'm not mistaken that that was a mixture of, it was done in blender, I think. Okay. And it was done in a way where they did the CG and then they, if I'm not mistaken, they did a shader or drew on top of it with a grease pencil. Okay. Very cool. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a couple people that were replied back to the, um, Twitter post mm -hmm. I had done. It said, um, I can't pronounce his name, but he said, why did you stop posting on your blog? It was a great resource. Oh, uh, for the very reason we talked about. Um, when I came up uh, to the studio, um, uh, I had to make a choice, and that was uh, I went from one kid to two kids. Mm. And, and I think I promised my wife after the move that I would try and find a little bit more balance. Gotcha. That, that's what you're talking about? Yeah. And so something had to give. Mm. And as much as I actually liked sharing uh, stories on the blog and information on, on, on that stuff, um, I, I, it, it, believe it or not, it takes a lot of time to maintain. Gotcha. Just me. It was my wife who's a designer, a graphic designer. She was like full-time doing it as well. So wow. it a lot from both of us because remember I was doing like posts and resources and videos, mm -hmm. podcasts, and it, it was just, it was a, like a part-time job on top right. of parenting teaching here and teaching and yeah. there's something I had to give. And, and unfortunately <clears> I, to give. I try to do a, a little bit on Twitter as much as I can, but um, you know, it's, Get a fun balance. Yeah. <laughs> There's one other question here. It said, um, how do you keep up with animation trends? What's an animation trend? I'm curious. I don't know. I'm guessing maybe kind of what's going on in the industry, maybe via Twitter and things of that nature. I mean, you mentioned some of these movies I hadn't quite heard of yet. So maybe that's... Oh, um, well, I'm lucky that the studio is, is great at kind of exposing us to a lot of stuff. Not just animation, okay. films in general. Um, I also, like I said, over the last 10 years or so, uh, actually 15, 
uh, I've opened myself up to other stuff, like extremely to like Ghibli uh, and, and Japanese animation, French, um, and, and not just to like the local Hollywood market. Gotcha. And so I follow a lot of artists specifically who are involved in that or are, are, are somehow fans of that. And, you know, there's a lot of talent out there that mm. not necessarily always gets the credit they deserve. So it's that exchange that always is interesting to me. Now, what do you like about Studio Ghibli and Miyazaki's films? What is it that, I know we mentioned that in some of the times in the classes and stuff, but just really resonate with you? Uh, man, I don't know, I, I, where is it? I'll podcast on that alone, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I think what's amazing about him is that he's unapologetic about the kind of films he wants to make. Okay. I've read a couple of his biographies, uh, kind of the books he's written, and then one of the, the producer, uh, uh, and, and, you know, he, he goes on to say, like, he makes cartoons. That's what he makes. He doesn't call it, you know, feature. Like, he doesn't hide away from what it is. He wants to make films for kids. Okay. And, and I think, obviously, the idea of what kid film is in Japan versus in the States might be right. Right. But he's unapologetic about it. And he's a man of extreme vision. Now, you might not appreciate that vision, um, but I think when you learn about him and what he actually does, it's astounding. Like, the talent level on that person is mind-blowing. Mm. He storyboards the whole film himself. Wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> that, that yeah, it, and that's actually something very common in Japan that the director okay. storyboards the films. But he goes to a level of detail that is astounding. Like uh, I have a few of his books. They sell like books of his storyboard, like the whole movie and storyboard form. And you can buy these on Amazon. You can buy them at specialty stores. And when you see the boards, you're like, you think it's verbatim, the film, the detail he goes into, the notes. Wow. It's when you go through this stuff that you realize the level of literal, like just genius talent that this individual possesses. Mm. So he boards the whole film himself. It's his vision. He doesn't delegate the work. Like he is literally directing the film by drawing every storyboard that he goes through and he does, or he did not as much today. I think Princess Mononoke was the last one he had done that on, but he would go through and do the corrections himself on the animated drawings. So there was a rumor or a story around that he had done like something like, I can't remember if it was 30,000 drawings or 80,000 drawings <laughs> of corrections. And you understand the level of, commitment as a filmmaker uh, that's something like someone like me just it's astounding and the kind of movie he makes are just you just don't see those movies you know what i mean yeah, They're yeah. Not always, always necessarily happy ending films mm. they don't follow the three act system the cinematography is stunning if you've not seen his films or the, in general the studio's films it's not just his films. right right um they're amazing um I think Aizu Takahata's film, Grave of the Fireflies, to date is a movie that has made me cry more than any film ever. Mm. It is astounding. Mm. And the most horrible thing is that I had to watch the movie three times in my lifetime. <laughs> and that's definitely a movie you watch once. <laughs> um, but <laughs> the realization that they make films, uh, well, he passed away, but um, they make films, that studio makes films that just, aren't seen anywhere and they're mm. at a level of storytelling artistry 
that is just like not seen anywhere else. It is gotcha. stunning. Like um, Kiki, my neighbor Totoro, uh, Castle in the Sky, Laputa, and Pokoro. So those are all relatively old films mm-hmm. were done in a span between the 70s to the 80s. Oh, I didn't know that, but that far back. Phenomenal films. And then you come into his more modern stuff, not so modern, but modern, like Princess Mononoke and, and Spirit Away. And my God, those movies are just stunning, stunning. And again, what I love about him as an individual is that he makes movie for kids. I was lucky enough uh, about a year or two ago to go to Japan with my wife and go to the museum. And it wasn't what I expected. Like, cause I've been to the Disney museum in San Francisco. I've been to other museums of art. So I expected everything behind glass and, and like protected, it, but it's not. He designed a museum based on his perception of what animation is. And it's for kids. Oh, that's cool. And so it's this cool place where kids and adults can come, but kids can play, they can touch, they can come on these kind of made up far like faux uh, like desks, animation desks, and they can go and go through the pencils and flip the pages. And and I'm like, this isn't what I was promised. And then, like, <laughs> yeah. and then you realize, no, this is this is a Ghibli museum. It it makes sense. It is a museum that celebrates animation and cartoons for kids and kids and adults can come together and it's dude it's astounding it's not the dad that has the action figure and it's up in in the thing up there and going no no you can't touch it you can you can only look at it he's getting on the floor and actually playing uh, with you it, on it yeah it is it is like they had this i think at the time I was there they had this exhibit of like ghibli food like all the food from the movies they made and you kind of walk through all these like made up stages of like the houses and places and you're working through the kitchen of the totoro wow like, it is it's phenomenal it was phenomenal and Again, it's, I think there's a need in, you know, in Hollywood to focus on feature films. And, and there's a part of me that kind of likes the concept of like, oh, it's just it's a cartoon. But yet he doesn't treat it as this dumb gag thing. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. The movies are so sophisticated and it's unapologetic. It doesn't talk down to kids. And mm. I, I, every time I see a film of his, and I watch them quite a bit, I'm astounded. Like I'm just blown away what they do and the fact that their their process is so flipped from ours like um i might be mistaken but i'm pretty sure i'm not that they don't record the audio before animation they do it later really yeah so i saw a couple documentaries um that were in depth um and and if i recall they were recording the voices like halfway through or something towards the end <laughs> and and it, it's astounding and i think that's why maybe his movies you know when they are dubbed they work really well okay because it, to him, it's like he plans the acting and the, the performance out regardless. And it's just something completely different. Mm. Um, and if I'm wrong, I'll stand corrected. But I'm pretty sure that I'm not. And it's just, you know, it's astounding. And his, his drawing ability is, like I said, I can go on for hours. <laughs> well, since we've already gone long, we'll, we'll, we'll cut it there. I do have a question, though. If yeah. somebody hasn't watched any of those films, what – and I know it's probably like, you know, choosing from a kid, you go, I have no favorites in that regard, but would there be any ones that you go, Hey, look, start out with this one and then maybe check out that one. Yeah. I would say start out with, I would either say Kiki's delivery service or okay. um, my neighbor Totoro. I think just because those, I think Kiki's probably my favorite one. Mm. Um, my daughter's two favorite one is, is uh, my neighbor Totoro. And I think those two films are, just encapsulate like who he is and what that studio is about. And I, okay. 
I've not met someone that's seen those films and not liked them, not loved okay. them, would they say. So if you're going to cool. start, start with those and then spread out to everything else. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. My last question, because yeah. I don't want to take up more of your time here. What, it, what do you see your animation career or your career as an artist? Do you see yourself eventually? I know kind of briefly you mentioned even on Twitter that you're, you've got your kind of your own projects that you you're doing or want to do do you see yourself eventually producing shorts or you know i know you mentioned even um before we got on sparks um short at pixar would you like to direct one of those or are you happy with where you're at um I, I like what i do um and and honestly i um every time i i do something else i get a little bit like itchy i get like an itch for animation okay um so i like what i do um, but I think what's cool about the studio is that in general, when you, when you call an animator, an animated studio, they think of people as storytellers. Okay. Know? And I think every animator in the department is a storyteller. Everybody has their own thing going on, their own projects. Mm -hmm. And I think the studio is like really supportive of that. Uh, I think because they know what the benefit is and the benefit is kind of what we talked about where they can come into dailies and have those conversations and approach shots, not just as a cog in a machine, mm -hmm. but they can approach it as a storyteller and trying to bring something to the shot that someone that's, you know, maybe just a cog in a machine wouldn't think about. Um, I still, like I said, my, my workflow has evolved since I've been in the studio, but also, you know, how I look at acting and, and, you know, like I said, my bigger exposure to like Japanese, like Ghibli stuff, especially it, it challenges you to look at what you do and maybe trying to do what you do differently. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily just Ghibli, but there's also the stuff that's being done in France. Um, I think that's just really inspiring. And I think yeah. like any art form, which is what I consider animation to be an art form. Right. I think the more things you can take in um, anything from other art styles, other, you know, information like live action performances and actors, it can just make your art better. And I think that's kind of the journey. The journey is just being an artist and I, wherever it takes you, it takes you. But right now it's still a lot of art to learn. Gotcha. No, I love that. Well, Tal, I really just appreciate your time. Um, it's been great talking with you. I'd love to have in the class with you. And uh, like I said, I know you could go on for hours, but that's why I wanted to be able to do this podcast with you. Yeah. It's been too long. So appreciate your time very much. Thank you. Thank you. Man. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you very much. And we are out.